In France, Warner Brother Discovery is launching a streaming bundle on Amazon Prime channels dubbed Warner Pass. What are the opportunities and risks? How might it impact strategy in the US? Listen on to find out. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media at the beginning. Hi there, Colin. Hey, Will. Yeah, I'm, I'm here in this soggy, sodden California <laughs> area. We're getting a little break from the rain today, but uh, back again tomorrow. And I think if you're not in a flooded area, most people are very grateful and will not be complaining about this because we really need this rain. But as I say, a lot of people have been flooded out, which is no yeah. fun at all. You guys needed the rain, but you didn't need it all within a week. Yeah, feast or famine, I'm afraid. Or uh, as they say, when it rains, it pours. Pun intended. Yeah, yeah, it, indeed. Uh, but we've we've had an interesting week this week in our business, and we've got a we've got a main story. We're going to be talking about one of our favourite topics, which is Water Brothers Discovery. Um, some more hints about where they're going there. But we're going to start with our news stories. We are going to start. Excuse me. We are going to start with the news stories, and I think you are going to go first this week, and then I'm going to jump in. I am, and we've been talking a lot about the decline in traditional pay television and and how traditional viewing has declined, declined. And there is some real tangible evidence which comes from light shed via Nielsen this week. And they basically gave the decline in primetime viewing of the top networks, including the cable networks. And boy, it's pretty bleak reading if you are a television executive. NBC was actually the top, the most watched network of 2022, according to this ranking with 5.148 million viewers. And that is down 7%. And really the the losses in the top four networks, top four broadcast networks, uh, are pretty high, Will. CBS was down 8%, ABC was down 6%, and Fox was down 14%. And its extremely high loss in viewers is attributed to the fact that it actually lost Thursday night football in this period. To Amazon, so not the biggest losses. The biggest losses were experienced by MSNBC, which was down twenty-two percent. Everything else is big losses, right? And I think we would have expected losses because we're following how things are going in the industry. It's hard to predict what the magnitude is, and it's interesting looking at the chart. The range. First of all, none of the 20 are positive year over year. They're all negative. But there's a pretty big variability. You know, as you just said, MSNBC has the biggest drop, minus 22%. But for example, Fox News is down by 1%. Inspiration Channel, I guess, I'm not sure exactly if that's the right name of it, is only down 1%. And there are some others in single digits like TLC down 6%. And, you know, a couple of the broadcasters, ABC down 6%. NBC down seven, CBS down eight, as you said. So there's a pretty big variability in it. And I'm not sure what really 
causes that. I mean, I would have thought in a non-election year, or from going from a non-election year to an election year, as 21 to 22 was, that something like MSNBC would do better, but apparently that's not the case. Yeah, yeah, I was pretty surprised about MSNBC's drop as well, and uh, <laughs> I see that Fox, Fox News, uh, is kind of escaped that, right? Just down 1%, so it seems like Fox News Channel's audience is sticking with cable and maybe MSNBC's is not. It's uh, migrating online. No, they didn't give any data for CNN, yeah. but uh, who knows Who knows how that went. Yeah, I was actually going to jump in on that because I noticed CNN wasn't there. And I actually, you know, just a quick personal anecdote. Last week was the first time that I had tuned into CNN in I can't remember how long because I wanted to follow what was happening with the selection of the Speaker of the House among the Republicans. And CNN, of course, was covering it wall to wall, as were lots of other places. But I would tune in periodically just to hear their commentary, which, um, as I said, I can't remember the last time I watched CNN. Yeah, well, I've never been a big uh, 24-hour news channel consumer anyway, so I certainly wouldn't have done it. But uh, yes, the, the, but anyway, I, there's graphic illustration of the decline in traditional television. So anyway, what, what, did, what caught your eye this week? Well, listeners, most listeners have probably heard of the service pronounced DAZN. It's spelled capital D capital A, capital Z, capital N, but pronounced the zone. And they have been acquiring sports rights to stream since 2016. And there was an update on their financial situation this week. I read it in both Bloomberg and also in front office sports. Uh, so I don't know who had it first, but saying that they apparently increased their revenue from one and a half billion in 2021 to 2.3 billion in 2022. So that's a good thing. Uh, but they lost almost 1.4 billion in 2021 and no estimate on the loss in 2022 was revealed. So we don't know whether they increased their revenue by you know approximately 700 800 million dollars but lost even more money uh, than the 1.4 billion that they lost in 21 or what the story is uh, but it's something we want to keep an eye on and both these articles noted that the total losses for DAZN have amount to 6 billion dollars since launching back in 2016 which is obviously a lot of money. And uh, they have been paying up for rights to stream various soccer games all over the world. And this fits within our larger theme that we've talked about many times in the podcast of the idea of streaming migrating over to, uh, sports migrating over to streaming and whether it's profitable for the underlying streaming service to do so. And we talked about that with YouTube TV acquiring the rights to Sunday Ticket last week. And there's actually been a fair amount written since then. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, caught any of the column, but there's really, it feels like no consensus out there uh, among sort of industry observers like ourselves about whether the deal makes financial sense for YouTube or not. And 
it kind of underscores how murky this transition from sports on broadcast to sports on streaming actually is. It does indeed. But DAZN uh, is, a, is a great example of a company that's really gone all in. Um, over the last year, they've really, I mean, in Europe, football is king, soccer is king. And they've really gone all in here. They, they purchased 11 sports, which brings with it major footballing rights in Portugal and Belgium. They launched a new football coverage of La Liga in Spain. They've extended their UEFA Champions League partnership in Germany. So they've really been spending a lot of money, Will, on extending these football rights. And it certainly seems to be doing a great job in in anchoring their audience. But boy, I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to cover that nut. That's, you know, they're, they're spending a lot on these rights and the losses, I don't know what to, it'd be really interesting to see where their losses come in in the next year. I, you know that they're not spending less on these additional licensed sports and uh, extensions of existing agreements. It's not clear to me that they're going to make that money back in subscriptions and in advertising during the games. It's, boy, this is a big play and it could uh, it could turn out well or it could turn out very very badly for the zone right and i've been following as listeners know i'm not a i'm not a soccer fan but i it's been impossible to ignore some of the headlines around the player compensation packages that have been unveiled recently these guys are making giant numbers and that all obviously not all but some of that has to be supported by the sports rights they certainly are, Will. Yeah, this is this is big business, and just like football here in the in the U.S., just uh, the salaries earned by the players is pretty extreme. But anyway, I think it's probably time for us to move on to our main story. And as I mentioned, we're going to be talking a little bit about Warner Brothers Discovery because a couple of things that they've been doing have caught our eye. You're going to kick us off because there's a very interesting move in. France, I think it is, that really gives us some hints of where they're going with the unified package. But anyway, uh, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. T- tell us about what they're doing in France, Will. Well, this was a piece of news that we both read in Variety this week, which is that Warner Brothers Discovery has introduced something that they're calling Warner Pass in France only uh, and exclusively on Amazon Prime Video channels. And Warner Pass again from the Variety article, uh, includes all HBO programs plus 12 channels that Warner Brothers Discovery owns, Warner TV, Eurosport, Discovery Channel, Cartoon Network, and CNN, and other services. And all of that is going to be available only to Amazon Prime members through a separate subscription starting in a couple of months. And the, actually the, the one last thing is that the um, Variety article notes that they still intend in 2024 to roll out a combined HBO Max Discovery Plus type of service, which we know they're furiously working on to try to get launched as soon as possible. All of this is just, as you and I talked when we were preparing for the podcast today, 
uh, just raises a number of different questions about, first of all, how is this Warner Pass, quote unquote, Warner Pass going to be priced? And is that going to provide some clues as to how the joint HBO Max Discovery Plus service, which is forthcoming, is going to be priced as well. So that was, I think, a key question of ours is thinking about the pricing on this France, on this France package. Also pretty interesting to think about, well, if the joint service is gonna be launched in early 24, let's say a year from now in France, what becomes of Warner Pass within Amazon Prime channels? Does it get renamed to Max or whatever the combined services name is? And do those subscribers within Amazon Prime channels transition over to the direct-to-consumer product? Because as you and I have talked about many times in the past, there are significant disadvantages to having your uh, SVOD service distributed within one of the aggregators like Prime or YouTube channels, etc., uh, because you really don't have the direct relationship with the subscriber anymore and you can't get access to as much viewership data as you'd like in order to inform how to program the service, how to market it, how to promote it, how to do retention, etc. So it's, it's advantageous to have a direct-to-consumer product uh, rather than going through a third party. Uh, and yet, Border Brothers Discovery seems like they're super eager to get a product into market in France and have decided to go ahead and ramp up this Warner Pass while they get prepared to launch the joint service a year from now. So that's probably enough to lead off with, Colin. What's your, uh, what's your reaction to all of that? Yeah, I, I think this is... This is a sort of baby step test of the whole concept of combining discovery with Warner Media um, in in Europe more more specifically, and it, it totally makes sense for Discovery to be doing this with Amazon. Amazon and Discovery have been very very close partners over the over the last few years. Um, I think that they actually um, Discovery launched Eurosport as a separate app on Amazon or oh, very, very early on with Amazon channels launch in, actually, I think it was a launch partner for Amazon channels in Europe uh, and also a discovery app. So this, I think, makes a lot of sense. I think they want to market test price points for the combined product. So I, I actually take this as sort of, this is the shape of what the combined product is going to look like in Europe and they're testing it in France to see how interesting it is to consumers. So I think it totally makes sense for them to be doing this with Amazon and it totally makes sense for them to be market testing the product and the price points with Amazon. I mean, if you think about it, Will, this is a very it's very easy for them to do this because basically Amazon does everything. Um, Amazon, you know, hosts the content, manages the customer and, and, and streams the content inside of Prime Video. So it's very easy for them to test this in advance of them releasing a separate app. So this all makes sense to me on the transition of customers. Well, that really depends on how much content overlap there is with the combined product when it launches separately in France my assumption is 
that the combined product will have at least what is in Warner Pass. And the pricing, well, hopefully the pricing will be about the same as well. Otherwise, they will obviously have to make a price adjustment. And I, I think Amazon and Discovery have been historically very close partners. So, so this it all makes sense to me that they can do this with them to sort of test price points and content combinations to see exactly how well it will fly in Europe. I don't think it really helps them very much here in the US because the content mix is significantly different here. But for Europe, I think it's probably a really good good way of testing out how things are going to fly. Yeah, I, I, I mean, certainly there's value in there's value in testing. That's indisputable. It seems like an awfully involved process to run some pricing tests. You know, putting a new brand in the market, promoting it, retaining everything that goes with it, and then one short year later to be introducing their own direct-to-consumer product. Feels like they could test prices if that's their primary objective with a you know, much more modest investment, a smaller uh, bite in order to get to basically the same results. And they could even test the content mix within that. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, I just, it seems like a bigger step than would be required just to do a test. But I don't really think I understand any other motivation that they would have other than what you and I were talking about as we were prepping, which is they may just see some quick financial opportunity, some, you know, whatever, call it a million subscribers that they could potentially aggregate over the following year, which could bring in some, you know, some relatively easy money for them in the short term, which they obviously need in order to address the, the debt overhang situation. Yeah, I, I, I mean, very clearly, they don't want to leave any money on the table, Will. So I think there definitely is a, a big money aspect to this because they could earn, you know, $10, 20000000 million over the next year in, in France from a, from a joint product like this. It's also, I think it's a good test because they already have, as I say, they already have two separate apps available. They have Discovery as a separate app involved um, in Europe in the Amazon channel store and they have Eurosport. Eurosport is very popular in in Europe. So bringing those two together, they're going to really get an, an idea of how much appetite there is for seeing those combined into a single into a single product. So I think they'll get some hints there or some good good direction there about how to price um, and the appetite for a combined product like this and it gives them plenty plenty of information which they can use to feed the release of the final product when it comes out in 2024. So I, I think the overhead to do this is much less than it sounds because they're really not doing any of the technology. They're just providing the content and helping with the marketing. And you're right, it, it is a bit clumsy because you've got to figure out how you then position Discovery, a Warner Pass rather against whatever they call the the unified product when it does get released in France with the French audience. But I think it's probably worth that difficulty just to do the do the market testing and see how it flies because Europe's a very big market and uh, it's definitely something that they're going to want to optimize and do as well as they can 
with uh, when they when they do launch the joint product now of course as i say i do not think this helps them very much at all in the us uh, but probably is a smart move to make to test the market in europe does it in your estimation does it help them if they're only doing this in france you're saying it doesn't help them in the us if they're only doing it in france does it help them in other european countries you know whether it's spain or germany or netherlands or italy or wherever yeah, else yeah. is it substantive yeah. enough for, to do that I think it does will because I think they're broadly they broadly have the same offerings in all the countries in Europe and in and I should say in the UK as well. So I think it does help them in Europe. It tells them what what's going to happen when you take these two separate products that people are subscribing to separately yeah. and bring them together. And and interestingly it'll tell them I mean they must have they must have some idea of what the overlap is between these audiences. And they're very different products, right? You have Discovery and then you have Eurosport. So they're very, very different products. So they're, they're going to figure out what it means when you when you put those two things together. And, oh, by the way, throw in HBO and, right. and a whole bunch of other Warner content. Right, right. How, bi- how big an appetite is there for a big content product like that in the european market so uh, that'll help them with pricing and with exactly what content ends up being in the final product and and all of that so it's it's i mean it's a big move and they've been very very active in europe so uh, and amazon has been this close partner so i think all of that makes sense and and probably will help them well, it's it'll be interesting to see how it unrolls uh, rolls out. Rather, it's supposed to hit the market in March. I'm sure there will be a lot more written about it uh, pre-launch, and and certainly we want to understand what the pricing is because, as you said, that's a potential real indicator of what the combined service pricing is going to look like here in the U.S. Uh, when that comes, which yeah. I th- I think is supposed to be first half, isn't it? I, I don't I kind of yeah, lost track of what their target is now, but I think it's first half, right? It is first half, and and you know I sort of this week I noticed that Discovery CFO Gunnar Weidenfeld he he made a a statement that suggested a price increase was coming. He said we will with the combined product bring something to the market that I have no doubt is going to be the best streaming product in the marketplace, and we're not priced at that level right now in the U.S. More so internationally. So we talked about the international part. I don't agree with him that he's not priced at that level already. I sort of compared the pricing for HBO Max with all of the other products in the marketplace. And I'm sorry, but whether you're looking with ads or ad free, it's pretty much at the peak. You can get HBO Max, I think it's $14.99 for ad free. And that's around about the same for Hulu. And actually, you can get Netflix for less than that. It's $10 ad-free. And so I think they're already at the max pricing that the market is used to for HBO Max. So how you go about pricing this product? I mean, if you just straight add Discovery Plus and HBO Max pricing together, what you get is $15 with ads and $22 without uh, ads. And that would put them way ahead of just about everybody else in the marketplace, which is pretty extreme. So I don't know that they can charge $22. The big thing here is 
transitioning customers, right? It's not so much a big impact on HBO Max customers because they're already paying a much higher price than Discovery Plus, but it's huge for Discovery Plus. You know, Discovery, they're paying $5 with ads and $7 without ads. Uh, If you then ask, the only way you can get that Discovery Plus content is to subscribe to a product that's $20 or without ads and $15 with ads. That's a huge step up to ask Discovery Plus subscribers to pay. And we're not, we were talking about this before the podcast. They haven't really indicated how many subscribers they have in the US. They have 24 million to Discovery Plus worldwide. So, you know, if half of those are in the US, that's 12 million customers. You can't afford to have a bunch of those leave if you're, particularly when they've got as much debt as, as they have. So how they transition those customers is a really big open question. No argument here. (laughs) It is indeed a really big question. And as you said, if half of those Discovery Plus subscribers are here in the US, so just say there's 10, 12 million of them, how many of them already subscribe to HBO Max and are already paying the $15 who would not object to now paying it in one bundle or maybe even getting a little bit of a price break. Maybe they get a buck or two off per month. Uh, But conversely, how many of them do not have HBO Max and to your point are now essentially being forced to take HBO Max and pay what could end up being double or more per month uh, for that package? And how many of them then say, well, you know, I've been living without HBO Max this whole time. I don't really care about that. And I like Discovery Plus, but I don't like it enough to pay $20 a month for it. So thanks, but no thanks. So it's it's a tricky transition that they're going to try to take those Discovery Plus non-HBO Max subscribers through. And, um, you know, remains to be seen how it goes. It's it's going to be tricky, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm betting, Will, that we end up at about $20 and $15. So $20 with ads, uh, without ads and $15 with ads. And I think that they may well grandfather in Discovery Plus customers um, into that product, but with the dis- restriction that they can't watch the HBO content or um, some other there'll be some other restriction I don't know how they'll do it otherwise I, I just think they're going to lose a bunch of Discovery Plus customers here um, so I, I think whatever happens everybody's going to see a price increase <laughs> it's just how extreme that price increase is going to be the other thing is um, I think HBO Max viewers when they get this combined product I think it's almost certain that they're going to see more ads I, I was looking at something. Uh, if they have the ad-supported see, version of HBO Max, you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the ad-supported, if you're watching with ads, and I think about twenty, about thirty percent of people that are HBO Max subscribers are watching with ads. I was looking at some hub data, and that's what they said. I think in the hub data, I think that uh, you're going to be seeing more ads because here's why. Um, I was looking at what uh, David Zaslav said in the twenty in the Q3 2022 earnings call. He said, today we have two to three minutes of ads in HBO Max, ad light. That's about half of what we have on Discovery Plus. So we think we have, as we roll the two combined products, almost 100% growth in inventory available to us as we look to combine the ad loads of these products. And the way I interpret that is, 
HBO Max, you're going to see a lot more ads. That's that's one of the things that's definitely going to happen. I also think that you may see the right now HBO Max. You don't see ads breaking up HBO content. You might see uh, ads at the beginning and the end, but you don't see ads during HBO branded content. I think that's going to change. I think you will start seeing ads inside that content. Uh, but I think they have more wiggle room here, Will, because I was looking at some hub entertainment research data and I was really surprised at how happy people seem to be with the number of ads that they're seeing in Discovery Plus and HBO Max. Maybe HBO Max, not so much, but about 61% of Discovery Plus customers say that they are they think that the number of ads that they're seeing in Discovery Plus is reasonable. 53% of HBO Max customers say the same. So I think they've got a little bit more wiggle room here, but I, I would expect to see that 53% that are happy with the number of ads in HBO Max, that dropped pretty dramatically when we switched to Max. Because I, as I say, I think people are gonna be seeing a lot more ads in that product so you know in summary i think when max rolls out everybody's going to be paying more and at least the hbo max users that are watching with ads are going to be seeing a lot more ads right and i would put an asterisk on that hub uh, data point that you just mentioned about discovery plus subscribers being happy was the word you used i'm not sure that's the word hub used but if it is so be it I would say one of the reasons why they are, quote, happy is because they're comparing it to the ad load in Discovery on Linear, Could be. which is off the charts. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, I don't really watch Discovery or Teal's, the Discovery Networks, but periodically when I've landed on them, it's pretty amazing what the ad load is. So for a Discovery Plus sub, they may be like, wow, this is... Uh, you know a, a real breath of fresh air yeah i think you're right and you are right hub the wording hub used is reasonable do you think the ad load is right. reasonable uh, yeah. and that's what they said and 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 i've got to tell you i, I have seen uh, some of the uh, some of the discuss uh, excuse me some of the home and garden tv type stuff when you see it without ads or with a very very low ad load boy it's, it's jarring how much they loop on um, repri- reprising what was happening before the ads and you you see a lot of repeated content inside Absolutely. of those shows and it's Absolutely. not a great it's not a great experience so <laughs> right so <laughs> it's, it's probably, not it's yeah it's the 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 uh, pleasure of fewer ads is offset somewhat by the recognition that the content is repetitive as you're saying yeah, um, yeah, and what what's, what's watched in twenty five minutes could maybe be watched in you know fifteen minutes. I'm really fascinated, Will, to see how this works out. I love the you know I love the fact that uh, the Discovery, the Warner Brother Discovery executives think they've got fantastic content. Well, when they put it in Max and pump up the price, we'll find out how much consumers agree with them, won't we? Well, ask any media executive what the best streaming service is, and invariably they're going to say their own. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and and that it's underpriced relative to where it should be. You know, of course, other services. Anyway, I think we might be out of time here, Colin, on this one, but lots more to go in the next couple of months on this Warner Pass idea. You bet, Will. All right, good chatting. Thanks everyone for listening in, and we'll see you next week.
Inside the Stream is a production of in-screen media and video news. All rights reserved.